Well, I find myself sitting here wondering if I owe Pierre Dorian an apology. I've been thinking about that all afternoon. It's an uncomfortable thought. I'm not really sure what to do with it. Happy Friday to you. You've reached the end of another week. Matt Robinson here in the TCA studio. Just me today with a quick one uh, as uh, as we kind of round out the week. And I, I, like I said, I just have a thing or two on my mind. I thought maybe we'd, you know, I'd get off my chest before we uh, wrap up another week at TCA. Thank you so much for being here. Look, our numbers continue to go up, which is really cool to see. Obviously, a big part of that, Lee Versace is joining the team, but... We've had a lot of pretty awesome guests kicking around here, plus uh, the things we've been doing for a while, all continuing to build and build and build. And I know a lot of you are finding us during that midday slot, which is uh, which has now been abandoned by the local sports talk radio station, and more accurately, has been abandoned by Bell Media. The people over at TSN 1200 still doing their best, but have uh, been left pretty short-staffed, and so... Uh, that's left a lot of people looking for their sports talk radio fix in uh, in the middle of the day, and, and I'm glad you're making your way over here. But it was another pretty rough day on Thursday in the uh, Ottawa radio business. If you haven't heard, Rogers Media has shut down 1310 News, uh, a longtime staple here in the market. Actually, a station that's 100 years old, goes back to 1922, and uh, had some different formats over uh, over the years was actually for quite a while it, uh, an oldies station uh, and uh, it was an oldies station while those oldies were new I guess uh, at the time it was the local you know new music station but then it, w- it would rotate back in the 70s and 80s to playing things from the 50s and 60s and it, and it was an oldies station for quite a while uh, before Rogers buys it in the early 90s eventually switches it to news talk radio which is what most of us uh, know it as or have known it as for so long and uh you know, it, it became fairly recognizable. And I think this is part of the issue here. It it became less recognizable over the last couple of years. If you missed it, and if you're sort of like, oh, yeah, I remember 1310 News. I haven't heard that name in a while. It's because they haven't called it that in a while. In December of 2020, Rogers decides to rebrand it as City News Ottawa. And this is more of that corporate synergy that these telecoms love so much. Well, we do City News in Toronto. Surely the rest of the country will love it. It saves us on branding. We, we only have to have like one production staff that does our jingles and our music. We can have the same logo everywhere and then just slap your city name on like we give a shit. And that's sort of, in my opinion, part of what's contributed to the fall of it here. Of course, Rogers Media on Thursday is blaming the CRTC for making it too hard to run an AM radio station. But they had also uh, switched this over and they were simulcasting it. On 101.1 FM, that was also City News Ottawa ever since uh, December 2020. That displaced what was a fairly popular country music radio station. That got bumped down to, I don't even remember, 92 point something or other. And uh, and they dropped this simulcast of City News Ottawa on 1310 AM onto 101.1 FM and, uh, and tried to run that. So of course it didn't work. Uh, we we can see that now that they've decided to uh, to fire the newsroom uh, and uh, let go of their you know their their talk show host. This and that they're saying they won't give a number on how many people they've let go. They're saying it's in the single digits. That may or may not be true. We'll uh, I'm sure we'll find out with some time. But a tough day, and you're seeing this more and more. Uh, like I said, uh, Lee's been in here a few different times now to talk about what his experience has been like uh, as he's stepped away from. Uh, you know, from TSN 1200 after being let go there. And um, Sean Simpson was, of course, caught up in the same thing. 
Bell Media made their cuts earlier in the year, and, and this is just some more from Rogers. And so it would be unfair to say that Rogers bought this thing and immediately ran it into the ground, which is what so many of these telecom-owned stations end up having had happen to them. They have owned this one since the early 90s, and it, it went okay. But this is not what these companies do, right? This is not... You're a phone company. You have no idea what you're doing in the entertainment industry, in the radio industry, in the television industry. You buy it, you bring every dollar you can out of it, and then just shit can everybody and shut down the station, leaving it way worse than it is. Now, there are other factors going along with this, people switching to podcasting and to Spotify and Apple Music and these sorts of things. There, it's, I'm not trying to say radio is in a great place right now, but these are absolutely the last people who should be running them right now. So, uh, but like I said, Rogers, when they bought it, it ran pretty well for a while. It was an old faithful, right? You always knew if something was going on. I can tell you when we had the blackout back in uh, 2022, 1310 was where I went to immediately find out what was going on, right? You still had that fallback, that local radio station that was doing news talk all the time. And so it's important in a market and uh, now it's gone. But I can, I think you can trace this back to December of 2020 when they decide, you know what? We know better. Screw what you know, Ottawa. Screw 1310 News, this thing that you've known for a very long time. It's City News Ottawa now. You're just like, all right. And, you know, honestly, for the longest time, it, it, it doesn't really matter other than constantly being bombarded over the head with it when you're listening to the station. But those people who sort of come and go, they lose track of it. You turn, you're like, city? No, that's not what I'm looking for. And you kind of turn to something else. No, there was something else on the AM dial I used to listen to when I needed news. This doesn't sound like it. And you move on, right? You get comfortable with things. And the more you tinker with it, the more you change it. And as Lee was (laughs) giving me shit for on Thursday show, the more you dick around with it, the less familiar it becomes. And so corporate synergy, corporate branding rides again. So, um... You know, to anybody who might be listening who was working there at 1310 News, I do know one or two people over there. Uh, you know, certainly sorry to hear what's happened. Um, tough blow that uh, that these people did not deserve. Uh, back to Pierre Dorian. And I said off the top, I've been, I've been kind of pondering this for the last couple of hours. And I wonder if I owe that guy an apology. We all heard on Thursday the Shane Pinto news that he has been suspended for 41 games for uh, violations of the league's sports gambling policy. And uh, this, of course, comes on the heels of weeks of talk about how he hasn't even yet been been resigned to the team. And so I, I've found myself going, well, I, I've, I've, I haven't been shy about taking shots at Pierre that this isn't done. You know, as recently as Tuesday when Steve Lloyd was on the show, I asked him, are you surprised that this isn't done? Forget whether it should or shouldn't be. Forget what the number might be. Forget for how long. Forget all the contract details. Are you just surprised that this is still out there? And he said, yeah, of course, which is sort of the position I've had for a while. I I understood coming into September, they were really going to battle over this. They were going to negotiate hard on this. But one of two things would get this done. It would either be the start of training camp, right? You're missing physicals. Everybody else is in camp. And we see lots of guys. Cave would be overstating it, but that's the moment you find a deal because the team wants you there. They don't want you missing camp and you want to be there. Your body clock's telling you, hey, it's hockey time. This is when you are supposed to get back to work. All my buddies are there. I want to be a part of the team. And you get a deal done in that moment. Once you blow by that moment... 
training camp sort of rolls on, the pressure points sort of fade a little bit because fans and media are focusing on what's happened in training camp, right? In the summer, there's nothing else to talk about other than contract holdouts and negotiations and things like that. There's no games. There's nothing to, to break down. There's no lines and penalty kill combinations. So you focus on these things. Once the, the, the preseason begins, well, now I, I, I'd rather talk about, you know, who is on that top power play unit. I'd rather talk about the D pairs and these sorts of things. And, and we finally, we have a real hockey to talk about again. And so they fade into the, the background. And then it starts to boil up again as the regular season begins. And I thought if it didn't get done at the start of camp, it for sure would get done before the start of the season. This is not a massive contract. This is not a $9 million player. We're talking about like a $2.2 million player for two years. Surely you can get this done. And they blew through that date as well. And, and that's when I started to scratch my head. This is not now just a normal negotiation. Something else is going on here. Now, when I say something else is going on here, I never would have predicted this. I didn't know there was other issues like this. Obviously, nobody did until Thursday. I'm not trying to suggest that, that my spidey senses were going off. I just found it weird. I just thought I was sure this would get done. This wasn't that difficult. They'll get it done before the start of the season. And when they didn't, that became odd, in my opinion. And then now we're whatever we're at, two weeks into the season, there was still nothing. And then all of a sudden, this bombshell drops on Thursday. And so the reason that leaves me wondering if I owe Pierre an apology is because he's known about this for a little while. Certainly since game one of the regular season. We don't know exactly when he found out. A lot of people are suggesting that that, that kind of period around the beginning of the season when Shane Pinto arrived in town for a couple of days and then left again, that might be a moment to look at, that he was here. He thought, you know, maybe we're going to get something done. I should be in town. I should be getting ready so that when this happens, I can get on the ice quick and try and get up to speed. And then... He leaves. We don't hear anything from him for a while. Is that the moment where his agent calls him and says, hey, this thing that's been going on, the league's talking to the team. Um, you know, this is this is going to be a problem. There's going to be a suspension. You should go home. It's a reasonable assumption that that might be where. Some people are tracing it back a little further through training camp that, uh, you know, maybe that is, maybe they'd known for a while. Maybe they'd known for a few weeks before that moment. And... Um, the timeline seems to suggest the league has been investigating since July. Now, when did they tell Shane Pinto they knew something was up? When did Shane Pinto know this was going to be an issue that was going to lead to him being suspended? When did they inform the team? We don't have all of those details, but apparently the investigation has been going on for quite a while, um, you know, dating back into the summer. And I guess this stems from I don't want to get too deep into this because it's it's kind of complicated and I don't have the strongest grasp on it. But when you partner with these betting sites and the NHL has partnered with a bunch of them, if you've watched a broadcast lately, part of the deal is you will agree to let us know if you see anything weird going on. You're not allowed to be betting, especially on hockey, right? So that's part of it. They have integrity partners. They have, you know, third parties who can come in and investigate. Uh, this guy didn't use his real name, but there's a third party, right? There's a, maybe he's got a bookie, you know, somebody else who places the bets for him. If these betting sites think there's some sort of issue, something worth looking at, they're obligated under their contract to be a, a, um, 
a promotional partner, right, an advertiser, to let the league know. So that would have been what triggered the league's investigation, and ultimately it's led us to a place here where there's been a negotiation between the league, the player, and the players' association on how long this suspension is going to be, and we don't know exactly what he's done. The league has gone out of its way to say he did not bet on hockey. Had he bet on hockey, you can rest rest assured, this would have been a much stiffer suspension, possibly ending his career. This goes back a very long way. The NFL is taking this seriously. They've been banning guys for a year here and there. Um, the NHL, now this is a different time and place, but in the 40s, uh, ended three different players' careers, two for the Bruins, one for the Rangers, all for betting on hockey. Um And it's just interesting how this all gets tangled together. But ultimately, this is the first time the NHL has had to suspend someone, um, you know, during this era, let's call it, where we have all these leagues intertwined with these gambling companies. This is the first time they've had to do it in that environment. And so they sit down, they say to Shane Pinto, here's what we've got on you. Uh, There is going to be a punishment. And we sort of want you to take it standing up. And that's why this has to be a negotiation. If they say we're going to ban him for a year, almost certainly Shane Pinto, with the help of the Players Association, is going to stand up. They're going to appeal that. This is going to become a big mess. Um, So what can we come to together here as a number, as a situation, right? As a a group, go, all right, I'll take the 41 games. You'll be sending a message. I'll still be able to play this year. You know, it's a negotiation that way. But this all kind of is, is, is tangled together and created, the problem is created by the partnership with these gambling websites that you're now encouraging people to use. If you think back a couple of years ago to when they fired referee Tim Peel, because he got caught on a hot mic saying in the beginning of a period, yeah, I wanted to get a penalty for Nashville here early on in this period. Now, In his mind, he had seen something earlier in the game. He decided, we need an even-up call. I've got to penalize Nashville somewhere down the road. As hockey fans, you and I already know that happens. We know the term even-up call. It's garbage. If you've been listening to me for a long time, you know how I feel about that. Just call the game. Just do your job. Enough of this game management bullshit. But now one of them comes out and gets caught on a hot mic saying, yeah, I'm looking to call one on Nashville right now. If you've bet on that game, if you have money riding on Nashville and you see a referee saying, I'm going to penalize those guys, whether they commit an infraction or not, you are furious, furious. This is my money. You're supposed to be running a real league here. If someone goes out and actually commits an infraction, fine, call it. But you can't be, you know, pre-planning penalties. That's garbage. And especially now, if the league is in bed with these companies, which they are, and I, I'm getting worked up here. I, <laughs> I, I've said this before. I have no moral objection to sports betting. You want to do it? Go crazy. That's fine. Every now and then, if there's a big fight, maybe once, maybe twice a year, I'll throw down 20 bucks if I think I got a good feel on how something's going to go. I'm usually wrong. But I'm not against sports betting. But you can't have all these sports websites as part of your commercials, as your chief sponsors, 
on Shane Pinto's helmet as an advertisement and then have those people, those companies, their thousands and thousands of users who are placing bets on your product going, hey, is this crooked? Because I just heard your ref say that he was looking for something on Nashville as opposed to just calling what he's seeing. What kind of bullshit league are you running here? So that forces the NHL to take these things incredibly seriously. Even the slightest look of impropriety, they have to make a statement. In this case, they fired Tim Peel. Now, whatever. Guy had like eight games left in his career before he was going to retire. Um, He was always kind of a dink anyway, so I don't really care that he didn't get his big final homecoming game to referee a game in his hometown. Whatever. I don't care. But that's what the league did in that moment. Okay, we've been caught. We cannot have people who might be gambling on our games thinking that we have crooked referees, so this guy's fired. We don't yet know what Shane Pinto did other than he did not bet on hockey, but whatever it was scared the league. Something looked bad. I don't know how big or how small this is. Maybe he's running a gambling ring in the Ottawa Senators locker room. Not cool. Maybe it's something as small as like the NFL. The NFL has rules that's like, if you bet on football, you're gone for at least a year. If you bet on other sports, you just can't do it from our property. Now, that might sound stupid, and I kind of think it is, but like, you can't be sitting in the locker room after practice going, oh, shit, I wanted to bet on tonight's NBA game. Pull your phone out and, and hit FanDuel or whatever it is. You can't do that. You can't do it from team facilities, team property. It's a weird, arbitrary line to draw, but at least it's there, right? It's carved in stone. You know what those rules are. In typical NHL fashion, the NHL has like one vague paragraph in their CBA that doesn't outline anything like that as to when and when you can and when you can't, other than you can't bet on hockey. So they go out of their way to say Shane Pinto did not bet on hockey, but whatever he did freaked them out and they've had to make an example of him. They want this to stop right now. So... He gets 41 games. And it's hard to say whether that's too stiff or too light without knowing what he did. But uh, that's where we're at. So there's some interesting things that happen for the Senators here. Obviously, they know for the next 41 games um, that, uh, that they won't have Pinto. They don't have to go ahead and trade Matthew Joseph or... You know, Eric Brandstrom, Dominic Kubelik, there's been names thrown around. Who's going to get traded to make cap room for Shane Pinto? Well, for now, nobody has to get traded to make room for Shane Pinto because Shane Pinto ain't walking in the door. And when he does in January, he has way less leverage now than he did before. He is not able to say, I'm a $2.2 million player. I'm a guy who's kind of coming back with my tail between my legs here a little bit and... I sort of screwed you for the first half of the year by not being available. And maybe for the rest of this season, I'll just take whatever you can give me, whatever fits under your cap right now, and we'll try this again next summer. That's an interesting kind of wrinkle into how this is now going to play out for the Senators. Now, it's not great. You're still missing your third-line center. Ridley Griggs looked okay. Are you settled on that? Are you sold on that for a whole season uh, or for the next couple of months anyway? I don't know. We'll see how he holds up, but he's been fine thus far. Looks to have found a little bit of chemistry with Tarasenko. So maybe you're okay with it. 
but you would have much preferred to have Shane Pinto in the league, uh, or in the lineup, excuse me. So these are just little things that, that, that creep up, and then when it happens, they put the Senators in a whole different situation. And so to come full circle on it, do I owe Pierre Dorian an apology? I do owe Pierre Dorian an apology for the last couple of weeks. He's clearly known since at least the beginning of the regular season. I can't sign this guy right now. I don't have to trade anybody. He's not going to be available to me for quite some time. I don't know how far back you want to go, though, because over the summer, he still signed Vladimir Tarasenko to a contract that put him in cap trouble. That was cap mismanagement. He still got these four or five dead contracts on the books that were also like, this is not a get out of free, get out of jail free card for, for Pierre Dorian. This does not suddenly wipe clean all his mistakes. But while I was sitting here for the last couple of weeks saying, just get it done, figure it out. This is not that complicated. Eh, it was a little complicated, it turns out. So. I've been hard on the guy. I should say here, I'm at least partially wrong. I'm fully wrong for the last couple of weeks. I'll continue to evaluate how wrong I was before that. Because like I said, he hasn't known this for all that long. And he still made the mistakes that created the cap issue. So there's a bit of both happening here, I think. On the ice on Thursday night, the Sens drop a miserable one to the Islanders. Uh, Not a whole lot to say about it, really. Got off to a terrible start. Um... And then did manage to rally a little later on from 2 nothing down, come back, tie it up. But just just not really enough jam there. And by the end of it, you're seeing Dominic Kubelik getting benched. And yeah, it just wasn't a very good game. And, and these are going to happen, but you can't let them get strung together like this. And, and now you've dropped uh, to 3-4 and four on the season. And suddenly you're in danger of letting this get away from you a little bit. Look, you want to hear somebody go off on what's wrong with this team right now and, and what he thinks they need to do. Episode 1190, Lever Sage was on here. And um, it's available now at TallCanAudio.com or wherever you're hearing me right now. You just scroll back one. And, and Lee already thinks it's time for the panic button. That was before Thursday night's loss to the Islanders. No doubt uh, he doesn't feel a whole lot differently about that now. Look, the big story coming out of that one is Eric Brandstrom. Who gets hit by Cal Clutterbuck, goes down, bangs his head on the ice. Scary, scary looking scene. Arena goes dead quiet. And it's weird. What it reminded me of, to be honest with you, was if you recall in the 2021 playoffs against the Habs when John Tavares took the Corey Perry knee to the head um, and went down hard. And how the thing that I remember most about that incident is how dead quiet it was, how eerie quiet it was. And of course, was an empty arena. We were still not having fans in at that point. And so you just sort of have this kind of weird, eerie silence and, and the players sort of murmuring to each other, but there's not really much happening. And it, and it really made the situation feel that much more dire with how quiet it was around him. And that's what this reminded me of. And that's with a full building for the Islanders, right? there, It's, it's an Islander home game. There is a crowd there. I don't know that I've ever seen a full house as quiet as that one. It was, it was a scary moment. Of course, he's taken off uh, on a stretcher. There was a report that came out courtesy of Sen's PR um, late in the third period that said um, he's conscious. Uh, he's aware. He has his wits about him. He is moving his extremities, but he's been taken to hospital. So that's the latest that we have at the time that I'm sitting here recording. It sounds like the worst 
has been avoided. Like I said, he's, he's aware and he's moving his, his, his extremities. So good news there, but w- that's all we know. Like, we don't know beyond that how long this kid's going to be out, um, you know, how bad this is. Uh, we'll, I'm sure, learn more on Friday uh, when there's, uh, you know, been more information made available. But that's the one, that's the real story coming out of this game. Look, sometimes you lose shitty games on a random Thursday night and it's a story now because you've lost a couple in a row and, and, you know, there's been a lot of hype about this sense team. So, and, and the start they were going to get off to. So obviously there's concern there, but the big story coming out of that game was Eric Branstrom and, uh, it sounds like he's avoided the worst, which is, which is good. I want to touch before we get out of here on the Leafs a little bit. They beat the Dallas stars, uh, three to one. And go up uh, to what are they now? Three and one on this road trip. They uh, they lost a pretty brutal one to Florida to kick it off, but then have gone out and beaten Tampa Bay, Washington, and Dallas. Look, that Dallas game on Thursday night that was the big boy game, right? You've been out on the road for a bit. Dallas is a top team. They're playing at home. They hadn't given up a shorthanded goal yet, right? Like uh, their penalty kill had been perfect thus far, and so. If you, as a Leaf team, feel like, yeah, you, we still want to be viewed as a top five, a top ten team in the league, whatever it might be, these are the games you have to find a way to win, and you have to step up and you have to do it towards the end of a long road trip, and they they were full value for for getting that done. William Nylander um, gets another point, has a point in every game, at least one in every game so far this season, a sweet dish to, to Morgan Riley. Um, awesome play there. John Tavares also gets a goal, uh, an empty netter, but he keeps his uh, point streak alive as well, a point in every game. So he's played reasonably well. Jake McCabe went down early in the first period. No real update um, about what's happened there and and how long you may or may not be without him. That could get complicated just because, as per usual, the Leafs are up against the cap, right? And so they're still carrying Fraser Minton. He hasn't played in a bit. So he's either got to get in there and play or now they might be forced to send him back in order to open up some cap space, we'll see what's going to happen. Or, you know, for all we know, Jake McCabe's going to be fine on Saturday. I, I have no idea. But it appears to be lower body. Um, Mike Johnson was speculating on the broadcast that it uh, it could be a groin injury just based on the way uh, he kind of pulled up. I think it was it was like 10 seconds into his first shift of the game. So uh, not uh, they played the full game, though, just the 5D. But pretty good outing for the Leafs, to be honest. Matthew Nyes with a great game. Um the thing I wanted to bring up here or talk about briefly is what you do with Joseph Wool, who stops 30 of 31 against Dallas on Thursday night, some of them in spectacular fashion. He was brilliant on Thursday. Uh, he beats Washington, as I said earlier in the week on, uh, on Tuesday, and was really good coming in in relief for Ilya Samsonov on Saturday against Tampa after Samsonov gave up three goals on four shots to start. Uh... Joseph Wall, since coming in in relief, has stopped 92 of 96 shots. That's a good way to stay in the net, right? Those are pretty sweet numbers. He's got like a 968 or something save percentage. And he just looks calm, cool, collected in there. Has he arrived? Is this who he is? Is he elite, elite, elite now? Who knows, right? We haven't seen enough to make any kind of determination like that. But right now, there's no question, he is their hot hand. So how quick... Do you turn your back on Samsonov and how hard do you ride the new hot hand? It sounds like the plan has already been made that Samsonov is going to play on Saturday night in Nashville in the final game of this road trip. And I guess 
I, I sort of speculated earlier in the week here on the show that that would probably be the case, that they weren't going to bail on him this fast. They sort of have him penciled in to be the starter, but there's an incentive to see if Joseph Wall might be ready to be that guy. And in the limited opportunity he's had thus far, he's shown that he is ready. So that's going to get interesting for them in a hurry because what do you do on Tuesday when you get home? The next game after Samsonov's start on Saturday is that Tuesday game against L.A. So like I said, you give Samsonov Saturday to just say, hey, we haven't bailed on you. We haven't given up on you. The kid's playing well. He's had a couple of starts now. Now it's time for you to get back in there. Show what you can do. Bounce back a little bit. But what if he doesn't? Well, if he doesn't, it's probably a pretty easy decision that you're going back to Joseph Wall on Tuesday night. But what if Samsonov comes out and plays pretty well in that one? And you've got Joseph Wall, who's just put up the numbers that I mentioned a couple of minutes ago. It's like the best possible problem in the world for any hockey team to have. But it is a problem that you have to solve. And and I honestly don't know what happens at that point. I guess if Samsonov came in as your number one, and he's really good on Saturday against Nashville, you probably go back to him. Out of loyalty for last year, you give him that home game on Tuesday. Try and get his confidence back up and running a little bit. Joseph Wall is still the rookie, right? He's still the young guy. He hasn't necessarily... When I say he hasn't earned, I don't mean because he hasn't played well, but he hasn't put in the time necessarily to steal the net away yet. So maybe you would go back to Samsonov in that situation. But anything short of a stellar outing from Ilya Samsonov, I think they will go back to Joseph Wall on Tuesday at home against LA and just let him run with it a little bit. And again, never six, seven in a row like your true stud number ones, like your Sorokins, your Shesterkins, these guys. I don't think it's going to be like that this year. But maybe he comes back and plays two, and then Sammy gets one, and, and Wall, if he's still going, gets another two or three, and then Sammy gets one. Like, this is clearly set up to be a tandem, and I don't think you're going to see either guy make 60 starts, 55 starts, whatever. This is going to be close all the way through, and they'll ride the hot hand. And right now, that belongs to Joseph Wall. So, it's interesting. And it is interesting with long-term ramifications. If Joseph Wold does establish himself and become the guy down the stretch this season, you have him under contract again next year at $775,000 for a starting goalie in the NHL. That would solve a lot of problems for the Maple Leafs. If it turned out he's your guy, you're ready to ride that guy, and he can take over that job, it allows the Leafs to get out of some cap trouble going into next season that they're always in, right? They're always going to be up against the cap. That would be a dream come true. We are not there yet. I think throughout the season, what is more likely to happen, and the Joseph Wall experiment might continue for a couple weeks here. Like I said, on and off, two and one, two and one, two and one. But that's going to flip at some point. Goalies of this caliber, typically, especially when they're not yet established like Joseph Wall, he's going to hit a cold streak. Samson off probably get hot again, and then we'll be doing that for a couple of weeks or a month or two in this season, right? He'll he'll get two or three in a row, and Joseph Wall will get one, two or three in a row, Wall will get one, back and forth like that, right? I think you're going to see this pivot a few times because that's just the nature of the tandem that they have at this point. But uh, yeah, I don't think anybody is going to take off this year and play five or six in a row with the other guy just sitting on the bench in a true backup role. I, I think you're going to see this function as more of a tandem but just how how big the difference is and and who's getting that slight edge that slight majority 
I think we're finding out much sooner than we expected what Joseph Wall might be made of and, and making this a question sooner. Like I said, this was always going to come up this year. Joseph Wall was always going to be given an opportunity this year. I think you're seeing this play out a little sooner than maybe uh, we would have expected. And as I said, if Samsonov is stellar against Nashville, great. He can go back in Tuesday. No, no, it's not a big deal yet. This isn't a problem. You see a daily face-off and Frank Cervelli already. When there's, the, when there's nothing in the news, when there's no big headline, they will always lean on something Toronto, as they did on Monday. Uh, goalie controversy in Toronto already. And you're like, okay, I guess. Get those clicks, baby. Whatever you got to do. But this isn't a controversy yet. But what you might see is if Samsonov isn't great against Nashville on Saturday, it's not a goalie controversy, but you might start to be concerned. Because now you are running with a rookie as your clear number one with no real safety net behind him. And Joseph Wall also has a, a, a history of, of some injury issues. So that would be uncomfortable. You at least want to see Samsonov get some sort of his confidence back here a little bit and, uh, and, and start to battle for the thing because he hasn't looked great so far this season. So interesting road trip for the Leafs. They'll wrap it up on, uh, on Saturday night in Nashville before coming home again. So we'll see how this is all going to shake loose. As we wrap things up here for another week on Tall Can Audio, let's in on uh, on what's coming up next week. We'll, of course, have the usual Monday morning show with Rob and myself and, of course, Lever Sage on Thursday morning. But a couple other guests coming up on the podcast. It's going to uh, gonna be a lot of fun on Wednesday morning. You will hear from AJ Jackie back. We will do the post-mortem on a brutal Ottawa Red Black season. Just when you thought it uh, couldn't get any worse, it it got worse. Uh, AJ Jackubeck has been behind the microphone for every one of those games this year and, uh, of course, has has seen some things around the Red Blacks since they uh, became a, a team here in the CFL. What was it, 2014? Uh, and we got pretty lucky. They got off to a nice start as an organization. You know, the expansion year, you're sort of like, well, whatever. They're supposed to be bad. It's fine. And then before you know it, they're a playoff team. They're a championship contender. And it has been all downhill ever since, including this year. So we will ask AJ Jackiebeck to take us inside what went wrong this year and how they're going to fix it. And uh, AJ is always good for, for a few different things, right? We'll talk some travel with them as well. We'll maybe talk a little soccer with AJ, get his take on hockey, everything else going on. So that'll be Wednesday morning. AJ Jackiebeck back in here. And on Friday morning... We will talk to Ken Reed from Sportsnet, who you see just about every night on Sportsnet Central, uh, doing the highlights and, and things like that. This will be Ken's first time on the podcast, making his TCA debut, but uh, super interesting guy, super entertaining guy. He's written a couple books in the past, and he has a new one out called Hometown Heroes. And so uh, he's uh, he's going to come on. We'll talk to him about that, and and we'll see what else is, is in the news at the time that we can talk to Kenny about. But that'll be Ken Reed. On Friday morning. So another jam-packed week on the Tall Can Audio podcast. Like I said, Rob and myself on Monday morning for you. AJ Jackiebeck Wednesday morning. Lever Sage Thursday morning. And Ken Reed from Sportsnet on Friday morning. It's going to be a lot of fun. Hope you all have a great weekend. Thanks again so much for the support of the podcast, especially to those of you who've been here a long time. Welcome to everyone who's new around here over the last few weeks. We see those numbers growing. We see you walking in and and joining the club. We're pumped you're here. Um, Shout out to everybody who is uh, enjoying Tall Can Audio lately. It's uh, it's been a blast to, uh, to see this thing take off again and continue to expand. So with that in mind, we will wrap this up for another week. Have yourselves a great weekend, and we will see you on Monday morning when Rob and I are back for an all-new episode 
of Tall Can Audio. That's it. Not work under these conditions. If anybody wants me, I'll be downstairs at McDougal. Call the weekend guy. I don't care.